This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. We all listen to music, don't we? When we're feeling down, lonely or stressed, perhaps. But also when we're happy, when we're joyful and positive, when we're with friends and family, perhaps. But music isn't just about notes and rhythms. It's actually an emotional experience that we really get into and it validates as well as challenges our moods. But I'm wondering, can music go beyond the act of that simple listening to being used in therapy for mental health issues? Well, joining me to discuss exactly this, Datin Dr. Ang Kim Ting, Honorary Secretary General of the Malaysian Mental Health Association, and Dr. Indra Salvaraja, Medical Music Therapist from University Putra, Malaysia, bringing in those two perspectives to hopefully answer my question and also to look at how music could overcome the barrier of stigma when it comes to Seeking help for mental health issues. Good afternoon. How are the both of you today? Good afternoon. Very well. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Um, perhaps, uh, Dr. Katie, I can start with you first. Um, if we try to understand um, how people feel when it comes to seeking help and support for mental health issues. We, we have had so much awareness uh, in the past few years about mental health and uh, there's a lot more acceptance, I think, to talk about it. But when it comes to bridging that gap and uh, if you're actually struggling to acknowledge it and to seek help, how difficult is it for people to do that? Okay, Shaoek, thank you for your question. There are still difficulties faced by some people in seeking help for their mental health problems. And uh, while it is uh, getting people are more open now, but there are still people who find it very difficult. There was a study that showed that uh, out of those people who were interviewed, only 50% of them said that they would seek help for uh, their mental health problems. And 10% mentioned uh, they would uh, see a psychiatrist. Uh, if you compare it with 12.5% uh, said that they would seek uh, the traditional help, you know, uh, like especially spiritual help, seeking prayer support, go and see the mediums or the bomo, or try some other methods like... Uh, supplement, food supplement, nutrient, uh, you know, uh, supplements. So there is still a, a problem for some people. And uh, But then to seek help uh, and support, first of all, the person must be aware that they have a mental health problem. And, uh, you know, it's not everybody uh, are aware. Some think that it is a problem that will go away. You know, it is just uh, the ups and downs of life. And uh, they try to kind of uh, overcome it with their own, uh, you know, uh, means by various means. And uh, and there are also some who uh, may recognize they have a problem, but they don't accept that it's a mental health problem. So both must come hand in hand. Uh, they must recognize that they have a mental health uh, problem and they must accept it and then... Uh, in order to seek help. Now, for the younger people, it's, it's not so much of a problem. They are, they are more open now. Uh, it is, it is uh, with the, the older, you know, older generation, especially the parents. Uh, I've come across uh, young people who tell me that uh, the parents are not supportive at all for them to seek uh, help for their mental health problem. 
you know, the parents will say, no, no, you don't have a problem. You know, your problem is uh, you just, you're not trying hard enough or something like that. And the worst still, if they mention they want to see a psychiatrist, is a no-no uh, for them. So, so that, that becomes a problem. Now, even a simple thing like uh, seeking help, seeking professional help, it may not be uh, easy for some people, you know, uh, to know when to seek help. They, they, they may not think that, well, I think I don't need a professional help. Or they may think that, yeah, maybe I just go and see the GP, you know. So when to seek help is uh, a question uh, that uh, uh, need to be clarified. I generally advise that, you know, when you have come to a point or the person has come to a point where they, they become uh, dysfunctional or, you know, their, their daily functioning has been impaired. Or, for example, a person uh, working, their performance has deteriorated, uh, they cannot uh, produce the work that is expected, or they make uh, uh, lots of mistakes, they get scolded you know, for underperforming. And more typically, the students. Uh, students are fearing the exam. Mm. And for university students, sometimes it's sad. They have got to drop out because they just cannot pass the exam. Okay, so, so things like that is functional in, in terms of the work for students in their studies uh, or social functioning. Mm. You know, they find it's very uncomfortable. They, they find it so stressful. They try to avoid, you know, people. But that becomes, uh, you know, it disrupts their, their daily kind of uh, normal uh, living. Even housewives can have problems. You know, they may find cooking a meal becomes a chore. They can't uh, no, no longer have the energy to keep the house in order. So, so when it comes to this, this uh, level, then I would say, you know, they definitely have to seek professional help. Dr. Indra, what uh, Dr. Katie has described is really the fact that people do struggle to acknowledge emotional and mental distress, I think, and to link it with a mental health problem. And then after that, the other steps come, right? Seeking help when to go, who to see. Now, how does music come in here? You know, because perhaps we may struggle to uh, acknowledge emotions or talk about our feelings. But all of us, I think, um, instinctively know when to reach out for music to lift our spirits, perhaps, or choose music that suits certain moods, right? So perhaps you can talk a little bit here about linking music with mental well-being. Yeah, um, first and foremost, I think the reason why we have this feeling of comfort with music is because music tends to create a safe space for us to express ourselves and to lower our defences. So it's fun, it's enjoyable, and this tends to make people more relaxed and comfortable to be themselves. And, you know, the fact that music is also motivating, it's highly engaging, it is mentally stimulating, and it sparks off our imagination in ways that can shift our mood from feeling sad to feeling more uplifted, from being tense to feeling more relaxed. It is actually something that we feel very, very comfortable expressing ourselves within 
a musical space. And it is also non-stigmatizing, which is really important because it enables us to feel supported. It enables us to feel as if we can really, really let down our guard and to be ourselves. It is also social and relational, which means it often helps us to feel less alone and more connected to others as the music seems to resonate with our emotions. So we often talk about music in terms of how the mood of a song or the words in the lyrics seem to get us or it resonates with us. And this is how most people view music. It is seen as a medium of self-expression where it is okay for us to let down our guard and just be ourselves. Does it matter whether we're listening in solitude or uh, listening with a group of friends or even performing it? It really depends on the situation and our state of emotion. So, for example, there are times when you want to distress, and I know a lot of people, including myself, who would rather listen to music on headphones so that we can create that personal space where we can just go back into our cave, if you like, and then listen to music as a solitary activity. And that tends to have a very, very relaxing and calming kind of effect. There are other times where we enjoy listening to music in the presence of our friends, where we are socializing and we want to create a mood that is more energetic. So it really depends on the situation and the occasion, but both could work. All right. We'll go for a quick break now. And when we come back, uh, let's look at uh, diving a little bit more into music therapy then. That's different from uh, putting on your headphones and retreating into your cave or enjoying it with friends. Uh, I think music therapy has more structure to it and how, uh, what is its effect uh, when helping people with mental health issues. I'm speaking today to Dr. Indra Salvaraja, medical music therapist from University Putra, Malaysia, and Datin Dr. Ang Kim Ting, Honorary Secretary General of the Malaysian Mental Health Association. We're discussing mental health and music therapy. We'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Yi. Joining me via Zoom today, Datin Dr. Ang Kim Ting, Honorary Secretary General of the Malaysian Mental Health Association and Dr. Indra Salvaraja, Medical Music Therapist from University Putra, Malaysia. Somebody talking about mental health and somebody talking about music therapy. Do those two go together, I'm about to find out because we do know that music itself has such tremendous effects um, on us psychologically and emotionally uh, just the way we turn to it um, as Dr. Indra has uh, explained uh, when we want to feel relaxed um, uplifted uh, or perhaps uh, I think even when I'm feeling a little melancholy I might put on some music that suits that mood uh, and it just um, it I, I sense a connection with what I'm listening to and it just helps me feel a little better after that um, Dr. Indra so that's um, something that uh, we all share as a common experience I think listening to music um, for our moods but how do you see music being used uh, in a therapeutic sense to improve mental health? So, as you know, uh, music therapy is an evidence-based allied health profession which requires the intervention of a qualified and certified music therapy professional. And so we are taught at university level and also clinically trained to administer music as a form of therapy for mental health purposes. So this may include familiarizing with the various mental health conditions under the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which is produced and periodically updated by the 
American Psychiatric Association. It also means being well aware of and being able to predict the clinical outcomes and to adhere to ethical standards and safety protocols. So music therapists are trained to use music to improve mental health in ways that we have undergone extensive tra training in psychology. Uh, this includes abnormal psychology as well as counseling skills and psychological assessment and evaluation. So it's not something we can just do without having the prerequisite psychological and counseling training. And it is actually really, really important to recognize that because I think a lot of people assume that when they're listening to music and they are trying to just very organically shift their mood that they're doing music therapy on themselves. And I receive a lot of comments like that. But it actually requires an in-depth psychological knowledge to also be able to predict and to understand how the music can affect that influence on our mental health. And this includes not just mild situations and conditions, but it also can go into the chronic uh, aspects of mental health. So it could be used for people who are actually struggling with diagnosed mental health disorders? Yes, that's right. In fact, there is a whole body of music therapy research and clinical practice that goes in that direction. All right. Dr. Katie, how do you see that coming together uh, with mental health care? I think, first of all, you talked about some barriers that people face when it comes to acknowledging mental health problems and then seeking care. How do you see music therapy being able to break through those barriers? Well, uh, Shoaik, I think music therapy, to me, is like a form of uh, behaviour activation. And this is widely used uh, as an approach for people with a depression. And uh, behaviour activation is a form of a positive uh, psychology or positive psychological intervention uh, where... Uh, there is this uh, purposeful engagement with a pleasurable activity and uh, to induce a positive emotional state. Uh, it helps to release the feel-good hormone. It's just like, you know, we say exercise. Uh, exercise would uh, kind of uh, help you, you know, to produce uh, the feel-good hormone. So the same thing goes uh, with the music because it affects uh, your emotion and uh, your physiological, you know, uh, functioning of the brain. So I believe uh, in that sense, uh, music therapy uh, can help uh, to promote a mental well-being and also to uh, restore the emotional state or mood of the person. Dr. Indra also mentioned that music therapy or music itself is non-stigmatizing. Uh, and Dr. Katie, you said that stigma gets in the way for some people, especially uh, that generational uh, gap when young people want to seek uh, mental health care and then perhaps their parents think they shouldn't. So um, does music play a role in breaking through that stigma, do you think? Well, uh Definitely. No, music therapy is definitely not so uh, intimidating, you know. Uh, like if you uh, want to see a psychiatrist, there is a lot of uh, anxiety and fear. You know, the stigma attached to seeing a psychiatrist. Uh, the person may feel that, well, what if I meet somebody I know at a clinic, you know, when I go for consultation, or they may think that, well, what if my uh, colleagues find out or my employer you know, finds out that I went to see a psychiatrist, somehow seeing a psychiatrist is like, you know, something is wrong with you. You are of unsound mind. 
So um, music therapy in that sense is less threatening and uh, is uh, more accepting. So, so I suppose uh, it, it is less intimidating in that sense. Dr. Indra, is that how you see or already is that how music therapy is used in um, providing mental health support? Well, you know what Dr. Katie was mentioning is is very, very important because, you know, the very fact that we don't often associate music with treatment, let alone therapy, and we have more associations with music being something that's recreational, that's enjoyable, that's relaxing. So those connotations actually do us a favour when it comes to music therapy simply because when we are first approaching a potential client with any kind of conversation around music or an activity around music or involving music, it means that the person is already going to be coming into the situation with the perception that all oh, music is something that's fun and relaxing. So that takes away the fear and the anxiety about this potentially be, being some kind of psychological assessment or evaluation. On the other hand, of course, there's a way for us to ease into the conversation about the client's struggles, you know, what they are going through, because you can have conversations around music and just talking about songs you're listening to, which seem on the surface to be very innocuous. Now, we don't do anything that's manipulative, that's meant to uh, somehow undermine the patient. But what we do is to purposefully choose music that we think can build a bridge to connection and create that sense of safety. So I mentioned just now that music creates a safe space. And what it literally means, it, it creates a sense of psychological safety, where the person can feel relaxed and ready to be themselves. And of course, the therapist training is to ease that conversation to a point where that person has built trust and rapport and perhaps feels ready to share something of what they are going through right now, including their struggles. So then, um, is it working alongside with other behavioural therapies such as um, CBT, psychoanalysis, whatever it may be, um, that the therapist may want to implement as well? I'm trying to understand the mechanics of how it will actually look like. Absolutely, that's a great question. So to piggyback again on what Dr. Katie shared, so the school of thought that I was trained in is primarily cognitive behavioural therapy. So it's very much CBT oriented which means it shares a lot in common with behavior activation. And it is also a CBT-based music therapy approach, which combines the principles of CBT with music in ways that looks at how our cognition affects our behavior and triggers our emotions and how we can use music to reinforce positive behaviors or to extinguish negative ones. So it is highly structured, goal-oriented, and driven by evidence-based research, it also focuses a lot on problem solving. So it's very, very much steeped into CBT proper, but using music as a medium and platform to deliver the benefits of CBT. I understand now. So for some reason, I had thought that it's separate. You know, the music therapist is working and then perhaps separately there's a psychotherapist working, but you're actually literally merging Absolutely. We are integrating the two, but we are blending it in ways that, you know, sometimes uh, the beauty of music is you can use that as a means to 
as mentioned earlier, an entry point, a way to ease into that difficult conversation about what the client is facing. But at any point, once the client starts to share and you sense a certain vulnerability or perhaps that the client is needing, needing to just back off a little bit because they're sharing a lot of personal information, you can retreat back into the music as that same safety net. So we use the music in many ways as a mirror to reflect and to be able to draw out whatever similarities of experience. We can use the lyrics itself as a means to draw out strands of conversation. But at any time that the client feels that maybe they're exposing too much and maybe they are feeling a little bit more vulnerable, they can always retreat back into the music. So we are trained to use the music as this in and out kind of medium that enables the client to engage and to share as much as they feel comfortable sharing. But at the same time, we have all these safety checks along the way, using music as part of that facilitative process. And throughout, we try to provide them with that feeling of trust. We try to engage them at a level where they know that they have the full confidence of the therapist. And we always try our best to empathize and understand from their point of view, what is their experience? Because their experience is real to them. And it is very, very important to be able to help to journey with the client through whatever struggle they are going through and then to help to facilitate those uh, points of breakthrough in terms of insight. Because, you know, it's very difficult for a person to shift their perspective or to change their thinking about certain things unless they have those moments of insight where there is self-awareness, where there's a point where they suddenly realize certain things. And so we ease through that whole process, which is very much guided by CBT, but we do it at a level of comfort. At the same time, of course, uh, watching very closely the client's responses to gauge how far to push psychologically, when to retreat into the music, and always giving them a chance to let us know how they are feeling and how comfortable they are continuing with that conversation. Mm. So I know um, it will be very much individualized to each individual or client, but um, is it possible to get a sense of um, what people could expect um, from music therapy uh, if they're struggling with mental health issues? And I guess what I'm trying to find out is because a lot of people are wary of seeking therapy because they just don't know how much they have to reveal of themselves and their emotions and their problems, right? Um, is it at all possible to paint that picture? A general one, maybe? So that's the beauty of uh, using a music therapy-based approach because, you know, when I mentioned uh, that the song is a mirror, so we might be able to first draw them, in, draw them into a conversation about the song. And we talk about peripheral things. We talk about, you know, what that sound is, uh, song is about, what do they think the message of the song is, and then, you know, what is the songwriter's point of view. So these are ways to approach the topic from more of a side view without actively or directly confrontation the issue. But I mentioned earlier that, you know, as music therapists, our choice of music is always purposeful. So we would bring a song into the conversation because we've already had some preliminary information about the client's background and what they are potentially struggling with. So we are using that song as a means to open up that conversation. But in the process of drawing in the conversation, we have these peripheral questions, but we also have some questions that will lead them into their immediate experience. So so what it looks like is very much it's a journey together with the client where we are 
conducting a safe conversation around the music, using the themes in the song and the lyrics itself to draw out certain points of conversation, engaging with it at a level where, honestly, the client will tell you whether they're comfortable then owning their experience and talking purely about their experience. I've had clients do that. Or at some point, they want to go back into the song and they will retreat back into the song lyrics. So we will actually feed off whatever the client's responses are. But ultimately, our whole intention is to encourage the client to feel that they can process, that they can digest the experience, make sense of what they're going through in ways that we are driving them gently towards those moments of self-awareness and insight and hopefully to also start to be feeling safe enough to self-examine their own behavior, their own thought processes and where they may be perhaps doing things that may be contributing towards the problem or maybe there are circumstances that are happening outside their control. So we are encouraging that kind of processing and exploration into the problem, but using the song constantly as a catalyst. And I think that is really important because, you know, without the safety net of the song, when we are having a direct conversation about their struggles, the client is definitely going to be very exposed. There's no way for them to retreat and to hide, so to speak, once they start sharing certain things. But when we have the song there as a support, as a mirror, it means that they can decide how much they want to share, they can retreat back into the song, and then they can come out again. So I've never really had any experience where the client is feeling so exposed or so vulnerable that they shut down. But I think the beauty of it is, you know, this is a supportive process where we as therapists are not there to tell them what to do, but to help them to discover what they are going through that has, you know, brought about the discomfort and made them feel so upset about whatever it is they're going through. And ultimately to give them a voice, a space to feel that they are they can be themselves, that they can process their experience and to be heard. I found that has been one of the most powerful things because sometimes I think it's a very common thing, right? We care for someone. So when we're having conversation and we hear that our friend is struggling, we will very quickly jump in with advice or trying to tell them what to do to fix the problem because we are actually trying to self-soothe. We are trying to calm down our own anxiety because we care for our friend and we don't want to see them in discomfort, but it may be premature or it may not be the right solution for them. So we are trained as therapists to know how to use songs in ways that provide them with the song as an activating factor, but also the song as a support factor to help them to decide how much to share, what to share, and to use the song ultimately as the springboard for reflection. Mm. Dr. Katie, does MMHA have experience with the use of music therapy, whether it's um, you know, uh, through the work that your organisation does? Uh, no, uh, we only have uh, psychotherapy and uh, counselling uh, service. But uh, listening to what uh, uh, Dr. Indra has shared is perhaps something new to me. I always, uh, well, I am not an expert uh, in uh, neither in uh, psychotherapy nor in music therapy. And uh, I always uh, thought that, uh, you know, uh, music therapy works at the level of the emotion, the neurochemistry, uh, at that physiological level. But uh, uh, Dr. Indra seemed to be, you know, talking about uh, psycho- psychotherapy. And, uh, but the psychotherapists, I believe, uh, they, you know, like the using use of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, 
they they will also try to you know while talking try to analyze the problem, uh, try to identify the uh, thinking pattern, how the person perceives things, how uh, their their thought process, whether there's any negative pattern, and try to you know introduce or uh, intervene. Uh, by uh, turning those thoughts or those uh, uh, behavior and reactions into something more positive. So right now, uh, we, we don't have uh, music therapy, you know, in our service. And I think it's uh, still quite uh, new. In fact, I think there are not that very many uh, music therapies uh, in the country right now. Mm, Dr. Indra, could you share on that then, you know, the landscape as well as what challenges do you foresee in uh, sort of widening this approach for mental health? Well, you know, it's it's really um, challenging from the point of view that there are only a handful of music therapists right now. So there's less than 20 of us in the country. And over the last few years, we've also had some of our Malaysian music therapists who have gone on to uh, greener pastures, they've gone to work in Singapore. And, you know, so we have this situation where, you know, growing our numbers of music therapists is an ongoing challenge, but also that we are losing our music therapists in the process. So whatever this is um, basically indicating, um, I think we need more music therapists, that's for sure, to be able to create more of a stronger momentum and to have a louder voice in the landscape. But I think what is also important is for us to be doing the research that we need to generate our own local evidence base. So, of course, you know, in UPM where I work, we're trying to play our part and, you know, perform our small role. It is a slow and painstaking process, but I think building that evidence base is really, really important. At the same time, of course, you know, I was just at a conference just now and I was sharing about music therapy. And, you know, we know that there's a lot that music can provide as psychosocial support, even in hospital settings. So I find that maybe what we consider as the appropriate setting to introduce mental health support actually depends on the institution where the music therapy is working. I myself do a lot of work in hospitals. So then we provide music therapy as an overlay of psychosocial support to complement the primary medical treatment. So we are actually administering music therapy for mental health support, but in the context of a hospital setting. Uh, of course, then there are many other facilities as well where music therapy may be offered for mental health. In fact, in the States, they often have uh, music therapy in psychiatric inpatient, outpatient, um, forensic correctional settings in hospital. I have colleagues who work with the military, who deal with soldiers who are returning from war, with post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, we also have uh, music therapists who are working with acute substance abuse as well. And so they have to deal with a lot of these, you know, detoxification, rehabilitation, relapse prevention aspects of it, and also dual diagnosis. So there's a wide range, but I think right now in Malaysia, we are partly limited by numbers, but also by a lack of research. But I am very thankful that so far, where um, I've been given an opportunity to work in hospital platforms, for example, they're actually very, very supportive when we try to bring in music therapy for psychosocial support. And I find that that is something that is not only needed for the patients themselves, but also for the caregivers and the families. Because very often, dealing with illness can be a traumatic experience for the whole family. So the family needs support. 
And if we are advocating for it to be scaled up, what does the evidence show, uh, despite you said um, limited research, but perhaps you can draw on uh, whatever is available generally in the literature, what does the evidence show about the effectiveness of uh, music therapy? Well, there's uh, research that's been done by the American Music Therapy Association um, that has a far larger uh, evidence base. And what they found was that music therapy intervention can actually improve depressive symptoms, decrease anxiety. It also improves functioning for people with a variety of mental health conditions. Uh, It improves emotional expression, group interaction, development of coping skills, quality of life for people with substance use conditions. It improves uh, therapeutic alliance, which is really, really important as a platform for therapy to take place. Uh, There has to be bridge building and building up of relationships of trust very often for uh, the treatment itself to be effective. And that's where the therapeutic alliance comes in. But also to enhance treatment eagerness, uh, to also increase motivation to participate in treatment and also uh, a sense of locus of control where they feel that they have ownership of the problem and they feel a sense of hope that they can overcome the problem. Um, We also have music therapy that has been found to be effective to uh, stimulate change readiness and also to curb craving in adults with substance use conditions. There's also other areas where music therapy has been found to be effective in helping to address loneliness, grief, loss, and stigma that persists, uh, persists despite treatment. Mm. So I'm wondering now, uh, when it comes to accessibility, um, whether it's music therapy or generally mental health therapy, um, access is an issue um, in the public sector uh, as well as in the private sector. I need both of you to weigh in here, I think, whether the introduction of music therapy is going to um, ease this challenge or perhaps offer another compounding challenge? I don't know. Maybe, Dr. Katie, you could share first generally um, in terms of the challenges with access to mental health therapy. Now, I, I would think that uh, access to any form of uh, mental health therapy is limited you know, at this stage, whether it's psychotherapy, whether it is music therapy, or whether it is a psychiatric service. So right now, the psychiatric service is available in all the, uh, for the public sector, in all the state hospitals and even district hospitals uh, with specialist services. Uh, but uh, for psychotherapy and uh, counselling in uh, mental health is still very, very limited. It is uh, available uh, only in the state capital hospitals and, and limited uh, numbers. So uh, there is uh, access problem uh, for mental health uh, professional care, and especially in the rural areas, in smaller towns. So for music therapy, I would think that uh, the access uh, accessibility issue would be even uh, greater because uh, there are so few in the country right now. And also uh, in the public sector, well, the entry you know, into the public sector to be available as a service, is uh, there's a lot of process to go through. And I, I think, uh, you know, a music therapy in the country, first of all, uh, it has got to get to be accepted, you know, and, and better still, if they can be part of the 
allied health professionals under the Act. Uh, right now, uh, they are they have uh, they are they are not not yet. So it'll be good, you know, for the music therapies uh, to be under uh, this Act, and uh, then the acceptability would be better, and the entry into you know the uh, government sector where uh, the the poor and uh, those who cannot afford private care can have access to it. So right now, I presume uh, the music therapy service that we have, uh, they are all private except for the university where they offer some kind of service uh, through collaboration with uh, some of the government hospitals. So it's only at that level. Yeah, Dr. Indra, would you like to weigh in? Yeah, um, Dr. KT is absolutely right. So access to um, any kind of mental health service, let alone music therapy, is definitely very limited right now. And I fully agree with Dr. KT as well that, you know, one of the things we are working hard uh, at UPM is to try to uh, work with the Ministry of Health, uh, Allied Health Unit, because we know that they are looking into the Allied Health Care Act. They are interested to bring music therapy in and to formally recognize it as an allied health profession. And that is absolutely something which uh, has to happen for us to be able to proceed to offer services in a more formal and a more structured way through our government channels, because that is still one of the most equitable ways to provide support to the community. Um, but at the moment, of course, uh, after what happened with the pandemic, then there were many things that were halted. So I can at least um, tell you that I know the Ministry of Health was looking into it because they actually you know, wrote me in and they asked uh, whether it was possible for us to work together on that. So this is an ongoing uh, conversation that we're having. But obviously right now, uh, we are still not completely 100% out of the endemic phase. Um, and so you know, priorities had temporarily shifted. But I'm hoping that as things slowly come back to normal, that we'll be able to you know, basically carry forward where we left off with that conversation. But I fully agree with Dr. Ang that uh, we need to actually recognize music therapy as part of the uh, allied health profession under the Allied Healthcare Act. The other thing, of course, is uh, where most of the music therapists right now are working with private practice. It also means that... Um, that this is a, a bit of a challenging uh, situation because uh, you know people who can access private practice will tend to be people who can afford to um, pay the fees that you know go along with uh, private practice. But you know if we are talking about widening the impact of what music therapy can do, I think it's good that we have the mix because you know those of us who are based in university can work through the government hospital channels. I work a lot with NGOs as well, as well as UPM itself. Uh, we provide uh, pro bono services to the B40 communities through various community outreach activities. We are fortunate because we have the platform to be able to do that. But uh, we also recognize that uh, one of the major needs right now is to, to train more music therapists. So we've been actually working on developing a local master's in music therapy program. And uh, recently we had the president of American Music Therapy Association down uh, in UPM with us on the Fulbright Scholars Award. And so we are actually actively looking into that problem of trying to solve the manpower issue. But I also hope it opens up opportunities you know, for all of us, not just to get access to music therapy, but to be able to actually um, 
create more of an impact, not just to advocate for music therapy for its own sake, but more importantly, be able to advocate and educate the public on the benefits of music therapy, where it can supplement and help to support the existing need for more mental health services. Because we see ourselves as helping to bolster efforts, support the ongoing work that's being done by you know, fantastic organisations like the MMHA, and there are so many other uh, organizations now that are also trying to provide services and we just need more hands on deck. And so I hope this is something down the road that we'll be able to do to provide additional support and more of an option for those that may be reluctant to participate in the more traditional means to get mental health treatment, to consider music therapy as a pathway. Hmm. So perhaps I can wrap up here uh, with a final takeaway message from each of you. Um, for what people can do or should do right now. If they're struggling um, with some mental health issues, um, if they've been thinking about getting support, um, what's your takeaway message for them, Dr. Katie? Well, I think first of all, I want the listeners to know that uh, having a mental health problem is, is not uh, something to be ashamed of because mental health problem is very, very common. It's just that because people don't talk about it openly, or they hide, you know, uh, the fact that they have got a mental health issue. So uh, first thing is not to be ashamed, uh, seek help, and seek help early. And uh, if uh, you have problem of uh, access, especially, you know, now that uh, in the government sector, uh, the waiting can be very long, while in the private sector, it can be uh, very expensive. Uh, they can come to MMEJ. Uh, go to our website, uh, mmha.org.my, and find out the services that we provide, uh, which is affordable or even free for those who can afford. Absolutely. And hopefully one day music therapy will be there as well. Oh, of course, uh, music therapy. Uh, there's a great potential for music therapy. And uh, we also look forward you know, to working with the music therapists uh, in our services uh, in mm, future. Absolutely. Dr. Indra, your takeaway? You know, it's uh, really encouraging to see organizations like MMHA offering this community outreach. And I have observed their work over the years and they have such a track, a strong track record of serving the community. And, you know, Dr. Uh, Katie herself also offers training in mental health first aid and she is one of their highly experienced trainers. So I think if there are people out there who are seeking support, one thing that we noticed recently when uh, we did this joint collaboration actually between the Malaysian Society for Music and Medicine and the Malaysian Mental Health Association in conjunction with World Mental Health Day. And what we found was the number of people who actually participated in the uh, webinar itself was not just encouraging, but there were actually people who followed up after the webinar and they were responsive to you know whatever it is that was shared. And we noticed that they were actually asking for support and they were asking directly about you know how they should go about getting proper mental health intervention and uh, to see the right professionals. So we were really encouraged by that because we see that combination of music therapy, you know, music and medicine and mental health working together in collaboration for the good of the community. So I would really, really encourage uh, people who are listening, who are concerned and may be wondering whether this is a way to consider 
talking about mental health in a way that feels less fear, uh, sort of um, less anxiety-provoking mm. and is less um, scary mm. to consider, you know, reaching out to the MMHA, but also to the Malaysian Society for Music and Medicine. And uh, we actually have our ever-supportive president, Dr. Geraldine Liu, who is currently plan- planning a follow-up event for East Malaysia to be able to provide more equitable access to support which I think is really important because right now a lot of services um, focus more in Klang Valley, in Peninsular Malaysia. So we really need to be thinking about widening access and also to make support uh, more affordable mm. throughout Malaysia. Yeah. So um, for the Malaysian Society for Music in Medicine, it's msmm.org.my. And again, for Malaysian Mental Health Association, is mmha.org.my. Do check out both of those organisations. Thank you so much for sharing all of this with me today. I've been speaking to Datin Dr. Ang Kim Ting, Honorary Secretary General from the Malaysian Mental Health Association, and Dr. Indra Salvaraja, Medical Music Therapist from University Putra, Malaysia. This has been Health and Living on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.